Well, amen. In that special, we just praise God for Miss Jess, Miss Addie. So good. Grateful for them. And listen, y'all, Sean gets his feelings hurt if we don't tell him. We appreciate him, too. So great job, Sean. I'm joking. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love you, bro. Um, man, just grateful, grateful to God to be able to gather and, and to think about Mother's Day and just to celebrate that. And really cool to see a mom and daughter uh, share that moment and to see the pictures on the screen, which was really neat. Uh, grateful for all of that. Today, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter, we'll be in chapter 13. Some of you are probably really familiar with this uh, chapter. It's read at many weddings. I've Gosh, I've read this at so many weddings that I've preached and our own wedding 18 and a half years ago. I know this was read then as well. Uh, we're going to take a little different angle and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in honor of Mother's Day, and we do recognize, and I appreciate Pastor Caleb doing this so well, uh, we do recognize today is a difficult day for, for many folks. Um, it's not easy. I think about even some of our own church folks and some of what they're going through. With, with the loss that has taken place um, over the weekend and just uh, just makes today a, a tough day and, and we we know that and we've got your back and we understand that there are a lot of uh, a lot of different experiences in the room but in honor in honor of moms we just wanted to say uh, that we're grateful to God for the moms that uh, he, he has given us and we're 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 wanting to honor them well as a church and uh, what we've chosen to do this year in honor of Mother's Day is to make a donation to Christian Adoption Services. So we've made a $5,000 donation to Christ Christian Adoption Services, CAS. Uh, we partner with them throughout the year. This is just kind of a special donation uh, that we have made. And for those of you that are not familiar with CAS, uh, Pastor Kevin Qualls, whose daddy pastored here for many, many years, Pastor Phil uh, Qualls, man, we love Pastor Kevin. He's preached here before uh, around Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, just an awesome man of God. He makes sure that we know he hasn't always been that way. He, he said he fit the, the bill of PK church uh, un, under his, his daddy, Pastor Phil. He said, I've gotten in trouble in just about every area of this church, but it's amazing to see how God is using uh, Pastor Kevin now, and he's, he's serving with CAS and just doing an incredible job. He sent us a few statistics, things that have taken place just this calendar year uh, through Christian Adoption Services. I want to share with you. Uh, here's a few of them. One, 18 domestic Adoptions have taken, a pl taken place in North and South Carolina. Uh, so grateful to God for that. Uh, two international kids have been, uh, been placed this year. Nine birth moms have made decisions for Christ. Isn't that great? Um, here, here's the next one. Currently working with uh, 10 moms who are pregnant and considering adoption. This next one's really cool as well. Uh, two moms will be moving into our newly renovated Emmanuel home this summer in Thomasville. For those of you that don't know what the Emmanuel home is, it is a, a home that uh, can, you know, can be housed by five different ladies for up to 10 months at a time post-placement. And the reason they, they do this is they want to help them heal. They want to help them heal physically. They want to help them heal emotionally, help them heal spiritually. And so they've provided this home for the birth moms uh, to come in and to experience this healing, which I think is so, so good. Uh, help them just to get back on, on their feet. Uh, they've also served 75 families so far this year through uh, the various adoption programs. So what an incredible, incredible ministry and in honor of moms. Again, we're giving this gift to, uh, to CAS, and we're going to continue to partner uh, prayerfully well with them in the coming days. So I, I thought it's appropriate and right uh, to pray for CAS as we begin our services today, and then we'll dive into that 1 Corinthians 13 text. So if you'll bow with me in the spirit of prayer, then we'll jump into the message today. 
Father, we do thank you for Christian Adoption Services. Thank you for uh, Kevin Qualls. Thank you for the, the many other staff members that work within CAS. God, I think of the many families within our church who have adopted through uh, CAS. God, just so grateful for them. And God, I want to pray specifically for these uh, birth moms as they are praying through, placing their uh, baby up for adoption, and they're really desiring the best for their, their child. It's such a difficult, difficult thing. I pray for them. God, I pray that you'll just give them an extra measure of grace as they walk through this. Uh, God, I pray for the uh, adoptive families as, as they walk through the process of trying to figure out what their next step is in adopting and God to be with them. I pray for loads of wisdom for CAS as they uh, just work through what this process needs to look like and with all the things that uh, they need wisdom in. I pray that you'll just grant that uh, to them. And God, as I, I think about all the work that they're doing that is that is untold um, god i just thank you for it um, you see it all and i just pray uh, lord that you'll you'll continue to give them strength and encouragement as they uh, as they serve you faithfully in this area of ministry and we pray all of this in the powerful and mighty name of king jesus and all god's people said amen and amen praise god for that so first corinthians chapter 13 we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 uh, we will read verses 6 through the first part of verse 8, uh, but we're going to hone in on verses 4 and 5 over the next few moments. And in these two verses, we find perhaps the most comprehensive biblical description of the fullness of love. Uh, even though it's read at many weddings, like I mentioned a little earlier, uh, we should not misconstrue this passage into thinking that it's only speaking in terms of romantic love because that's not the case uh, at all. It is showing us how we are to love one another. And the reason I chose this text for Mother's Day, I know there are many exceptions to what I'm about to say, but as a general rule, man, moms do a really good job at displaying uh, Christ-like characteristics of, of love. And, uh, and again, imperfect because we are all imperfect, but uh, I really love how mothers uh, seemingly naturally just really do a good job in this Area. With that said, Paul is painting a picture of what love looks like, and the one that's sitting in the portrait is Christ himself. So as we look at this text, we see what love should look like as we look at Christ, okay? So I, I think about my own mom, and my mom has loved me and my brother so well. She's crazy as a sprayed roach. Come on, somebody. But she has loved us uh, so, so well. I mean, truly, she's an amazing, amazing woman, and and again, as, I, as we unpack this text, we need to think of Jesus as this perfect example. And we can look at others and the examples that they've set for us, and we can be thankful to God for those examples. <clears throat> but we must look at Christ for that perfect example of what love should look like. So it, it doesn't focus, I, I love to think of it like this, it does not focus so much on what love is, uh, it focuses on what love does. And so I, I think that's awesome, not just on what love is, but what love does and so this agape this charitable love is an active kind of love it's not abstract um, it's not passive it is an active love and that's what love does love has feet um, it's not just something that we give in words there has to be actions an example of this is when the text says that love is patient it doesn't mean that we just are to feel patient it means that we are to be patient we are to practice patience it's not just that we have kind feelings but we are to seek to be kind towards others it's not that we just simply recognize truth 
It's that we rejoice in truth and that we want to live in this truth. And so love is fully seen when love is active. The more we understand God's word, the more we apply God's word. And the more we apply God's word, the more we understand God's word. Well, the more we study on subjects like we're studying today, the more we're going to want to apply them. And the more we apply them, the more we understand them. Now, a little context here. Corinth whom Paul is writing to is a messy church. We've got a lot of things going on. Uh, they're battling with spiritual superiority, meaning they think that they're the best. Um, and so any conversations they have with others, they just want them to know that, hey, we're the best. We got it all together. They also dealt with a lot of relational sins. And so they had that going on. They had uh, just a lot of suing happening amongst one another, left and right. They're suing uh, each other. Uh, they're also approaching the, the communion table, the Lord's table, wrongly. There's all kinds of problems that are going on in Corinth. And Paul's intent, Paul's goal is not to simply instruct them. He wants them to change their actions. He wants them to change their habits. He wants them to change their behavior. And if we're anything like Corinth, and I would imagine on some level uh, we are, we need to build new neural pathways, if you will, in our own brains. You know, someone once said about Alaska, they said, when you're driving in Alaska, choose your ruts wisely because you're going to be in them the next 60 miles. Well, sometimes we have these ruts in our brains, these neural pathways that are, that are ruts, and they just kind of lead to the wrong areas. Maybe you have irritability that's just kind of a natural response of yours. Maybe you're unkind just naturally or you're impatient naturally. What we are seeing here is in Christ, through the strength of Christ, we can build these new uh, neural pathways. God can give us a, a new route, a new way of thinking, a new habit. And this is essentially what Paul wants Corinth to know is, hey, I know that you've struggled in these areas, but you don't always have to. You can take a new route. You can take a new path. And yes, you, even you can change. And this is encouraging for us today because as we're gonna see over the next few moments, we all have deficits. Welcome to humanity. Um, you're going to see some things in here as you assess your life next to the perfect portrait of Jesus. You're going to see, I've got some blind spots. I've got some deficits that I need to look at. And by God's grace and in his strength, uh, this can change. So let's see what Paul is painting as he, as he sees Jesus as this portrait that's being painted of his love. If you're willing and able to stand in honor of reading God's word, please do so. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. If you're there, we say Amen. amen cool i'm reading from the csb i love this translation i normally read out of the esv which i would be reading out of today but i think someone took my bible I, i'm gonna say by mistake all right but it's missing um so i'm i'm not reading out of my bible i'm reading out of a, a study bible spurgeon study bible that's csb so you're gonna see it is a little bit different if you're in esv just want to make you aware of that all right here we go first corinthians 13 starting in verse 4 love is patient we could stop there and preach about 10 sermons. Amen? Let's continue on. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. We're going to camp out right there today in those two verses. But let me read the next couple. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things and then the first part of verse 8 we love this part love never ends may God bless the preaching and the reading of his word today you may be seated 
Let's just walk through this passage, starting with love is patient. Now, we see that love practices, and again, we're looking at Jesus for this, practices being patient, literally meaning long-tempered. Uh, the word patient is most commonly used in the New Testament relationally speaking. So yes, uh, circumstances, we need to learn how to be patient in those, but this is really leaning into how we interact with one another. Are you patient with one another? Think about your spouse if you're married. Think about your youngins if you have kids. Think about your parents if you're in the home with your parents or maybe even out of the home and they cause you to be impatient for whatever reason. Think of your neighbors. Think of your coworkers, your friends. How are you doing at being long Temper. You know, love practices patience even when you are being inconvenienced. It is when we are inconvenienced to where that impatience rises its ugly head. And so it begins to raise up and reveal itself whenever we function in this, this reality of being inconvenienced. You need to, and I need to allow, we, we need to allow ourselves to be able to be inconvenienced and yet not be upset or Angered, We can be patient in the midst of that. Uh, a step further is even when someone does something wrong to you, is your immediate reaction to repay evil with evil or to spout off at your mouth or, or whatever. I know for many of us, and I'm inserting myself into this, it's easy to retaliate. This retaliatory mindset feels very natural. And it was very natural in Greek thought. As a matter of fact, Aristotle used to teach that any wrongdoing at all, even the most uh, minor of wrongdoings, your response should be vengeance. Why? Because vengeance is a virtue. That was a common Greek thought. And Jesus turns that on its head and he says, no, we don't repay evil for evil. What we do is the opposite. Love does not retaliate with evil. That doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means that you're meek. It means that you're trusting in someone greater than you. You are patient. Here's a few Old Testament texts as examples of God's patience. And he said that we are to be patient even when provoked. And we learn this from God himself, his character. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Going back to Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, our God, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So as Christians, we act like Christ when we are patient and when we refuse to pay back evil for evil. Again, counterintuitive with this fleshly nature that we have, but we learn this from Christ. And this is the same strength that Stephen possessed in Acts chapter 7 when stones were being pummeled at him. They were, they were being thrown, hurled at him and pummeling his body. Stephen did not respond by picking those same stones up and throwing them back. Stephen said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he learned this from Christ himself as Jesus is dying on the cross being rejected by those that he came to save. He prayed this in Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. We learn this example from Christ. Again, not easy. Very, very difficult for us to practice patience. But as we look at the portrait of Jesus and as we assess our own life, we must ask the question, how am I doing at being patient with others? Again, be it a family member or a friend or coworker or someone that I just meet um, out at a restaurant. Whatever the case may be, how am I doing my patience? Paul says, as I look at Jesus, I see that love 
is patient. Further, we see that love is kind. Now, being kind is the counterpart of being patient. To be kind means that you're useful. You are a servant. You have a servant's heart. You are gracious. It not only feels generous, but you seek to be generous. You not only desire the welfare of others, you work for the welfare of others. Now, the first test of Christian kindness, and isn't this true, is seen in our own homes. Sometimes this is really challenged in our own homes. We see the Christian mother is kind to her husband, is kind to her children because of the kindness that she has received from the Lord. Christian brothers and sisters are kind to one another. They're kind to their parents because of what they've seen from the Lord. They have more than kind feelings towards one another. They do kind things. They do helpful things and oftentimes even do sacrificial things. Now for the Corinthians, kindness meant they had to give up some things. And for us, it means we have to give up some things. If we're going to be kind and display the love that we see in Christ, we have to give up selfishness. We have to give up our own jealousy. We have to give up spitefulness in our own spirit or prideful attitudes. Why? So that we can adopt this loving kindness, a spirit of loving kindness that comes from the Lord. So just in those first two, as you assess your own heart, man, look within and ask yourself, am I a patient person and am I a kind person? Now we're transitioning to some of the negatives that we see uh, displayed here in this text. So love is patient, love is kind, but here's what love is not. Love is not envious, so it's not jealous. Uh, Jealousy and love, they're mutually exclusive. They cannot exist in the same room. Now, jealousy takes forms in two different ways. One form is it says, I want what someone else has, meaning I see your new car, I see your new house, I see all the gifts that you got. I want what you got. You don't deserve it, I deserve it, I want it. The second kind or form of jealousy is I don't want you to have what you have. Why did you get this responsibility? Why did you get this privilege? Why did you, uh, why are you the one that was selected to do this or to do that? So it's, it's this next level of saying I'm envious, I'm jealous of you to where not only do I, do I want what you want, but I want you not to have what you have. This is a, uh, an example that is seen in scripture as well. We see Solomon uh, dealing with a, a mom who lost her baby and her friend is staying with her with her baby. She steals that baby and calls the baby her own and Solomon's kind of trying to mitigate the fight a little bit and one mom saying it's her baby the other saying it's hers and he says I tell you what we'll just cut the baby in half one can have one half the other can have the other now Solomon was not this was not really going to happen but here's what we know he was using wisdom and trying to bring to the surface who the real mom is and the real mom says no 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 please do not do that and Solomon says ah you are the true mother we see an example here of the one who is envious and jealous as willing to do extreme things just so the other does not have what uh, they have or uh, so that they can gain what they do not have. One of the hardest battles that we face as Christians is this fight against jealousy. The temptation to be jealous is ever before us. We see people who have gifts all around us. We see people who seem to be excelling all around us. And as believers, what we should do is look at their lives and look for opportunities to applaud them on and to add value to them and to lift them up instead of bringing them down. I love the example of Eleazar of Damascus, who was to inherit all of Abram's estate. 
because Abram had no children. But then he had Isaac, and Isaac, in turn, took all of Abram's inheritance away from Eleazar. But he loved Abram, and he loved Isaac all the same. You see, a loving person does not get jealous, but rather is glad for the success of others. Eleazar was glad that Abram finally had a son, that the promise was finally fulfilled. We must live under that same banner. So as you examine your own life, are you patient? Are you kind? Are you a jealous person, full of envy? Further, are you someone who brags? You see, love does not brag. The Bible says that love does not parade in its accomplishments. Bragging is the other side of the same coin of jealousy. The person that is jealous, whenever they do attain what they think that they desperately need in order to be satisfied, now they brag about that thing. And bragging is just a, a type of way that we make other people jealous. And you cannot, listen, you cannot walk in arrogance or with this bragging attitude and elevate someone else you can't at the same time elevate self and elevate someone else no you have to step on top of someone in order to elevate yourself you know my son he has this beautiful head of hair y'all it's pretty I call him my third little girl he's got pretty pretty hair and uh and he comes he comes in man especially after the shower and he'll sling that head around and this beautiful hair just flows right into place He's bragging, y'all. I'm telling y'all, he drives me crazy, and I'm gonna make him listen to the sermon over and over and over again so that he knows that that is not love. He's making me feel bad, and it's not cool. He's stepping on top of me, y'all, just to prove that he has better hair than me, which is a low fence to jump over when you have none, right? Um, but I, I look at this, and you know, sometimes in life, that's obviously a lighthearted thing, and I'm, I'm mostly joking, um, but the truth is sometimes we can do that we can posture ourselves and, and c.s lewis says man this is this type of bragging is the utmost evil he says it is the, the the epitome of pride which is the root sin of of all sins bragging puts us first and everyone else down paul continues he says that love is not does not brag but love is also not arrogant the corinthian believers they felt that they had all the reason in the world to be arrogant they thought they had it all together they were puffed up and conceited about what they knew but they had no cause for arrogance nor do we and so we're not to walk in this because this is not love this is not love i, I love how william carey handled the situation who was William Carey was known as the father of modern missions. He translated uh, the Bible into different languages and dialects over 34 times and done a tremendous work, but there was someone that began to pick on him because he grew up with humble upbringing. They began to pick on him and said, I cannot believe that you were a shoe cobbler when you were younger. And he says, oh no, you got it wrong. I wasn't a shoe cobbler at all. I was the one that, that cleaned the shoes. And his point was, uh, you, you think I'm here, but I'm actually here. He was comfortable with someone else trying to put him down in their own pride because he knew who he was in Christ. And I think as we learn what love is, this is so very helpful for us to say, let's just be who we are, be who God created us to be. We don't have to posture ourselves or talk about our academic credentials and how awesome we are and all of our accomplishments and all the things we don't have to do that man why because who we are in christ is enough further love is not arrogant we don't have to walk in this pompousness and arrogance because we want to be loving i remember when i was playing baseball in college and this sounds so very silly today but i told i told uh our our coach who ultimately like transferred all this information to our announcer that um, 
I was from Gainesville, Florida. So when they announced me, when I came out to the mound to pitch, they would say, pitching is Zeb Cook from Gainesville, Florida. It sounds so silly. I was so embarrassed of where I was from. This little small town, nowhere town, people thought we were super uneducated and, and we were, and people thought that we didn't have a lot and we didn't. And I remember not inviting a lot of people over to my house when I was young. I liked going to certain other people's homes because their homes were nicer and that's to no fault of my parents. I don't blame them for that. It's just kind of where we, where we were. And I remember just feeling some kind of way about that. But man, what pride, what arrogance to walk in that way to where I felt like I had to posture myself. Oh, I'd love to tell you today that all of that is dead. I'd love to tell you today that all of that has been killed in my life, and I can, I can prayerfully and, and gratefully uh, say a lot of it has been put to death, but man, I still have that stuff that rears its ugly head. It's no longer about my hometown, but it's other things where I can be arrogant, prideful. I can be jealous. I can be unkind. I can be impatient. As we continue on, it says that love is not rude. To act unbecomingly, or, or the refusal to be polite is someone that is rude. The loveless person is a careless person, is an overbearing person, and is a person that can even be crude. Some Corinthian believers were examples of this. Uh, we see an example that Jesus gives us whenever Simon is so bothered because uh, Jesus has his feet washed by a woman of ill repute. Her tears wash his feet perfume wash expensive perfume washes his feet and she wipes it off with her hair and Simon's like man who is this woman of ill repute that you're allowing to do this and Jesus essentially says the problem is not with the woman right now Simon the problem is with your attitude wow you know as a church we say everyone's welcome here it doesn't matter what your background is we are all broken people we come to this place to drink from the well of Christ and we come together and we're going to stand on the truth of God's word whenever we say all are welcome regardless of what, that doesn't mean that we're going to shift or mold the word to fit you we're going to stand on the truth of the word but while we simultaneously preach the word and stand on the truth of the word we are saying man you're welcome we love you we're not going to be rude to you. We're not going to be unbecoming. We're not going to be impolite. We're going to care for you well. Why? Because Jesus says, love is not rude. Remember, Paul's painting a portrait of Christ. This is the perfect love, this example that Christ gives. And love is not rude. As we continue on, we see that love does not insist on its own way. There's an inscription on a tombstone in a small English village. It reads this, Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. I don't want this to be my story. There's another tombstone, just kind of the other side of that coin, in St. Paul's Cathedral in London that says, Sacred to the memory of General Charles George Gordon, who at all times... And everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, and his heart to God. That's an example of someone that seek its own. When you are walking about your week this week and you're dealing with coworkers and family members and neighbors and friends, can you look for opportunities to seek the welfare of others instead of naturally and very fleshly driven, which we can all be? We all have this hedonistic bent within us. Can we, instead of just doing what feels good for ourselves, can we seek the welfare of someone else? Let's do that this week. Here, here's why. Because love does not seek its own. Here's the next one. Love is not irritable or resentful. Now, the word provoked means to arouse 
to anger. This is a convulsion of sudden outburst or emotion or action. Love guards against this. Love guards against being irritated or upset or angered. And isn't it true that there are so many things in our life that can just spark us or provoke us to becoming irritable or angered? Hey, brother, sister in Christ, if you're a follower here today, a follower of Jesus, what is it that provokes you so easily? Sometimes, isn't it true that it can be the silliest of things? And I think about that, man. It's, 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 it's so very real in my own heart that it can be something small that disrupts me or causes me to be irritable. The person that is intent on having their own way is easily provoked. If you are a control person, meaning you have to be the one that operates everything and it needs to go a certain way, and if it doesn't go that way, I'm gonna be provoked. It's not love, man. you're easily irritated easily provoked easily resentful and you're harboring those things and holding on to those things that is not love and sometimes we'll say well yeah i lost my cool but it was just a short thing i got over it that's good i'm glad that you got over it quickly however so much damage can be done in a short outburst so much so much we are not loving well whenever we have these outbursts and then immediately say, I'm, I'm getting over it quickly. Just let me have my outburst. So much damage can be done. Uh, kind of a grand example is the atomic bomb is quick, but it does a lot of damage. A shotgun is, is, is quick, but it does a lot of damage. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Lastly, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Now, to take into account Whenever we take into account wrongdoing, it's a book, bookkeeping term. And we just recently had an audit here as a church. We put permanent records down. These permanent records are there so that we can go back to them. And that is so very necessary in bookkeeping. However, when it comes to the way that we relationally interact with one another, the Bible says in Christ we are to keep no record of wrong. This is so hard. This is so hard. There's two levels to this. I'll start with kind of the bigger level. Um, One level is some of you have gone through some really hard things. And I do not want you to mishear me today. And I don't want you to hear me saying, well, this says you should just get over it. This says you should just sweep it under the rug and forgive the person and go on. Like, it's not that simple and I get it. You have to fight for it. But what this is saying is when you're harboring this and you're going to sleep at night and you're ruminating over this and it's all you can think about, you're not displaying the perfect characteristics of, of Christ's love because you're not free, man. And in order for you to release that offense, you, sometimes you have to do some work and sometimes counseling has to be involved, whatever it is, but we have to get to a place where we no longer keep that permanent ledger where we can let it go. I get how hard this is and I don't wanna be overly vulnerable here, but I remember eight years ago, my best friend was killed and um, he, was, he was murdered. His life was taken from him. And many nights when I would lay my head down, especially early on, I would think about his family and I would become angry. And this record that I would keep, man, was just eating me up and I would do things just to ruminate upon those thoughts and it was just not healthy for me. As I look at the perfect love of Christ, I trust in him being a just God 
And I must get to a place where I can say, I'm not going to hold this ledger anymore. I'm going to release it. As Romans 4, 8 says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespass against them. I think of the many, many sins that God has forgiven me of and how he's cast my sins as far as the east is to the west, thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. I praise God for this. And now I want to get to a place where I'm keeping no record of wrong. It doesn't mean that it's okay it doesn't mean that there's no consequence because those certainly exist and they ought to. But it means I'm no longer carrying that so that I can walk in the love that God wants me to love. I don't want it to taint every other relationship that I have. The other side of this is sometimes it's silly things that we allow ourselves to get ate up with. Sometimes they're just not that big of a deal, but we allow ourselves to be controlled by the enemy because we're trying to control everything. And one little thing happens and we butt heads and butt heads and butt heads. And, and now we're at this place to where, man, we just can't get along and the enemy's in the midst of it. And again, we're butting heads with everyone around us. And it's escalating and escalating, 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 when in reality it wasn't even a big deal to start with. And we just gotta let those things go. We gotta get to a place where we keep no record of wrong yes this is applicable and ought to be in a spousal relationship we certainly mean it in terms of that but remember this is not just an example of romantic love this is Christ's example of love so all of our relationships what are some of the things that you need to let go love forgives love quenches wrongs rather than records them as we think about application here, looking at verses six through the first part of verse eight, we cannot go through them, but real quick application, walking through that text, love rejoices in the truth. This is what we are to do. If we wanna to continue to walk in the manner in which God's called us to walk and to love how he wants us to love, rejoice in truth, bear all things. This is a shelter to protect us. We, we have this roof over us in Christ and we wanna get out of the elements of our own fleshliness. We want to believe all things, not everything we hear, but all things that God says. We want to know that his way is best. We want to believe it. We also want to hope all things, the things that are not presently available. Hope for revival in my own heart. I want to hope for other hearts to turn towards God. I also want to endure all things. As I live for Christ and the world says, you should not forgive, you should not do this, you should not do that. I want to say no in Christ, I'm going to endure and, and I want to honor him in, in doing this. Why? Because the love that Christ gives never fails. So as we land the plane, let me say this to you. First to, to the believer in the room, as you're assessing the way that you are loving and you're looking at that picture of Christ I know that we all have deficits and my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that as we walk through the rest of our, our days on this side of heaven is that we'll grow stronger and stronger and stronger in those areas in which we are struggling maybe for some of you there's some blind spots and today God just like revealed the scales and you've seen some of those today in your own heart my prayer for you is that you will pray Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not about winning football games. That means that in whatever difficulty you have in front of you, as you walk throughout this process of sanctification, which means you're getting closer and closer to Jesus day by day, you might, you, you might find it incredibly difficult and even unrealistic for you to be more patient because you struggle so hard in that area. But in Christ, you can do all things through his strength. You might feel like I can never get to a place where I'm not provoked. Everything provokes me, man. Yeah, maybe on your own, you're, you're right. But in Christ, in his strength, you can. And so whatever that is for you, as you look at all of these things, and this message is not like 
for your neighbor to show you, hey, listen up, bro, this is for you. This is for each of us to look at our own heart and to say, man, where can I grow? Now, here's the good news. Hear this. As we grow older, our bodies are in a constant state of degradation, like they just fall apart. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Um, But the Bible says, even though that's happening, what's going on in here can grow stronger and stronger and stronger. So that's my prayer for my heart. I want to live my life in such a way where I want more for you as a faith family, more for my wife, more for my kids than I ever do myself. I want to get to that place of selflessness. I can say, God, grow me. God, help me to kill all of that stuff in me that is so dishonoring to you and help me to love like you would have me to love. So believer, call on the strength of the Lord to do this. If you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, man, I'm so glad you're here. And I would say to you, step number one is to surrender your life to Christ. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've been walking through Romans that talks about us being justified by faith. Place your faith in Jesus. Trust in him. That is your starting point. The Bible says at that very moment, you, you can receive the salvation of Christ. And next, next weekend, man, we are having a baptism service where we're celebrating what's already taken place on the inside. We're outwardly showing the world as our testimony that, man, look, look at what God has done in my heart on the inside. He has saved me. And that picture of being buried to the old man and being raised to walk in the newness of life is going gonna, is gonna to be seen and going in the water. The water's not going to do anything, but it's a picture of what Christ has done. and It's an act of obedience. Will you make that decision to say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus? If you're here and you've never done that, man, I'm just encouraging. I love nothing more than to talk with you about that. Give your heart and your life to Christ and trust in him. And then, then, uh, as you continue to walk through texts like this of learning how to love, now you're able to say, oh, that same strength that pastor talked about to the believers in the room. I now possess that moment you call on the name of the Lord. You've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit of God in you. You have that strength available to you now to where you can call on him and he can help you in some of those areas that are more challenging than others. We all, we all have them. All right. Amen. All right. Y'all good. Cool. Hey, Mother's Day. I hope you have a good one today. I hope it's great. I love Mother's Day because we eat steak every Mother's Day. Come on, somebody. And I'm about to go do it, like right now, as soon as I go home. And it's going to be awesome. Um, but I hope you have a great day today. Enjoy time together. And think about this text, not just for the day, uh, but for the rest of the week and as you continue the rest of your lives so that we can all grow in the way that we love one another. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your grace. Thank you for this faith family. Uh, thank you for the work that you have accomplished uh, on the cross for us, God, that we might know you and be known by you. Um, God, I pray as we depart from here today that we will uh, really examine our own hearts, God, that we will look at some areas where uh, maybe, maybe we struggled. And um, God, help us to lean into those areas and by your grace, uh, get some victories there. And God, uh, may it be amazing to look back just a year from now and uh, to be able to say, man, uh, I've grown so much in my, my patience. I've grown so much in kindness. I've grown so much in not being prideful. I've grown so much in these areas. And God, we want to boast in you uh, in all those things because you began a good work in us that you will complete. So God, help us to look to you for that strength and help us to grow in these areas. Um, God, we know that this is a, a shaping that will take place the rest of our days on this side of heaven. But God, we look forward to it. And we ask that you'll give us the desire uh, to seek you daily so that we may grow. We pray this in the power of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless y'all. Have a good day.